three. That was perfect first time. Yeah, that sounded right to me, which must mean that the internet is good. Because after listening to you and Elliot speaking the other day and him making the point about the lag, um, I did, yeah, I did wonder whether we'd ever managed to get the, the clap in sync. I'm not going to ask you to sing, though, like I did with him. No, please don't. I've had purple rain in my head all week. <laughs> I really I just, have. I was a bit worried that, because I wasn't going to make a big deal out of it, thinking, I don't want to get a season to desist on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want Prince coming in and, like, making us take that episode down. But, yeah, it was it was a bit of fun. Yeah, it, it, it was enjoyable. It was. It was very funny. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome back, Laura. Thank you. I missed you at Milton Keynes Geek Night All Day thing, me Bob, yesterday. I felt totally left out, um, which is, of course was my own fault because I didn't get a ticket because I knew I'd have too much work to do and I spoke on Wednesday night. So I knew that I'd spend a lot of the week preparing for that so I couldn't really afford to take the whole week off. Where were you speaking? I was speaking at 12 Days of Winter in London, in Shoreditch. I've never heard of that. I was very good. It was the last one, which is a shame, but they um, they did the 12 devs. They do kind of advent blog, um, similar to uh, 24 Ways, but they do the 12 days of Christmas, and they have different posts from developers. And I did it the first year, which I think was last year. And then, yeah, and they actually turned it into a like, little event that they were running as well, a meet-up kind of event. Kind of on the same scale as the usual Milton Keynes Geek Night. And then um, they're doing workshops and things now as well, but no more meetups, which is a, a shame. But I think it's been a bit too much for them to organise, as well as full-time jobs and things. This Milton Keynes, the Geek Night All Day. Yeah, it was a good. It was good, actually. It's a bit of an odd name. Um, yeah, no, it was good. It was a good event, and I like the venue. The venue was interesting. Which which was the venue? Is it where they usually have the Geek Night? Yes, it was the uh, old bus station building. Yeah, yeah, it is a cool venue, isn't it? Which, for anybody that hasn't been there, is basically an old bus station. And it looks like the sort of thing was probably built in, what, 1970s? Yeah, it's very sort of brutal, minimalist um, it looks architecture. Kind of like, yeah, Stalinist, kind of Stalinist bus station. Yeah. Um, which, which is quite interesting from the outside, but boy, don't go in the toilets. <laughs> They've got one of those unbreakable mirrors, which looks like it's been there since the 1970s. It was quite funny. Oh, I don't know. I think the ladies might be nicer then, uh, if I'm remembering rightly. Well, no, this was downstairs because, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is a podcast about toilets. <laughs> um, but no, upstairs very very convenient you know very congenial for 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 doing what you need to do downstairs though which is obviously the old bus station toilets ah um because normally i think during the evening events they don't use downstairs but because this was a slightly kind of you know bigger thing and all yeah, day, nice they used upstairs and downstairs but it, it was a nice building i tell so, you what go on where were where were the talks actually held were they in the upstairs still? yeah in the upstairs yeah. so downstairs was lunch and teas and coffees and breaks and that kind of stuff oh nice so it meant you going up and down but for anybody that hasn't been to milton Keynes geek night thing it's it's right opposite milton Keynes station so you just literally walk out of the door out of the train station door and there's the venue so it's really convenient it is very convenient if you if you live especially if you live around london 
Um, it's nice because it's not quite in the middle of London too. Well, I'm going to be back there in March to do, I'm doing the evening event. Oh, cool. That's what I did in, I did December. I did their evening event. So yeah, no, they, they did a brilliant job. I mean, it was, um, it really well organized. I thought, um, I, it, there wasn't a huge thing. It wasn't a huge number of people. It wasn't like, you know, 600 people, uh, it was a, a smaller audience. So that helped in terms of, you know, getting your lunch and getting your lanyard and queuing up at the beginning, which was quite nice. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't a scrum or a panic to, you know, you didn't have to be there half an hour early to, you know, get a seat, which was nice. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Um, and they had, I think it was Richard Wiggins actually, um, did a brilliant job on the design of, um, you know, all of the signage and they had the best lanyards I've ever seen. Oh. That, that's that's quite a thing. I'll I know. I mean, look. no, they, they they were great because you know lanyards can be good or bad, and they or they can be, you know, just cheap, or they can be really kind of poncy. Mm. You know, bloody lanyards made out of balsa wood or something. It wasn't. You know, it wasn't I have possible. seen that. <laughs> I know. It's, uh, yeah. <clears throat> a certain conference um, that I haven't been to either. But you know, who wants to start having your dinner on a plate? Isn't it? Start having your dinner on a plate instead of on a piece of slate. Yeah, or on a chopping board. Yeah, exactly. You don't want your dinner on a piece of slate. You want it. You you want it. On, we've talked about this before, Anna and I, in the past. Anyway, these lanyards are brilliant. So I might. I'll take a photo. And um, oh yeah, do because my pet hate is the ones where they have the names really tiny, because it's it's so important to have a big name on a lanyard, at least first name, nice and big, because it helps with that awkward bit where you've either forgotten someone's name or know you should know it or vaguely recognise them from somewhere but not sure where. And it's just that little tip to help you along. Yeah, well, I'm just looking at it now, and my first name is the the biggest piece of type on the lanyard. Yeah, that's good. Which is nice. It's bigger than the name of the conference, which, you know, you it's, know about. Yeah, that's, that's, that's annoying as well, yeah. Big old logo when everyone knows where they are. Well, it's made up of two bits, actually, so two bits of card sort of joined together. So, And they're both on both outer sides, they're the same. Um, Which is great. So when it flips, you can um, you can still see who people are. Yep, that's that. And it's got my Twitter ID on it. And above that, above that, and be- between that and my name are three stars. Now I- I'm not sure. I never noticed this until just now. I'm not sure whether everybody got three stars or whether this is some kind of rating. <laughs> yeah, may- maybe it was out of five, and <laughs> you went rated that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I can feel bad about that now. And then on the inside, what have we got on the inside? We've got um, on one of them, you've got all the all the sponsor logos, which is you know part of the course, and then you've got the uh, the schedule on the other one, which I like. I like having the schedule on the lanyard rather than having some you know silly little booklet. Or something that you lose, yeah. Yeah, so that's quite good, actually. Um, so, yeah, best lanyard designs I've seen. Um, yeah, really nice, actually. Yeah, that's cool. Because it's normally a really... The evenings are lovely events, and it's always a really lovely atmosphere, which I always say the atmosphere is always set by the organisers. I think if the organisers are nice people, they're really open and friendly, it tends to create a nice atmosphere in the event. Well, I'm looking forward to the one in March. That's going to be good. Yeah, it's always always good fun. Those ones. they're they're really great. I'm doing a wee little event in Manchester next week, which is going to be a practice run for the talk that I do then in March at Milton Keynes. So that'd be good. And the speakers were good. I enjoyed because uh, I was obviously I wasn't speaking. I was sitting in the audience. Yeah. Um, which was lovely. Um, 
John Hicks talked about sheds. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, all the talks were, were, were good and different. Um, but I thought John stood out because he was talking about the need for, well, basically sheds. You know, somewhere to, somewhere that's, it's not like a side project where you might have other people still having an influence somehow. Yeah. Um, or you might have to cater for somebody else's needs. But the idea is that, you know, when you're in your shed, you're just pottering, you're doing it for yourself. Yeah, that's um, nice. That's a nice little analogy. And then he linked it through to the fact that actually some of his pottering has got him work. You know, he talked about how he did the Camino logo and put it up on a Camino forum and Mozilla got in touch and that's how he ended up doing the Firefox logo. So hmm. that was nice. His, his, his talk was good. Um, apart from the fact that he had a picture of me, um, and Dumbledore. <laughs> right. Making some kind of comparison. I'm not sure what all that was about. You're like Dumbledore. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, well, Dumbledore's an, an, a good character. Well, I mean, he did. He died, then, didn't he? <laughs> after I heckled. I don't know. I've not seen. Don't spoil it for me. I haven't seen the. the oh, I haven't ones. either. I've, I've only heard. Now, after I heckled, John did say, oh, well, it's because you're wise. But I don't think that was what his original thought was. I think it was some kind of beardy, beardy <laughs> gap. <laughs> um, I tell you who I thought did the best talk of the day. Because, you know, some pretty well-known speakers on there. Yeah. Um, but the person that I really liked the most was actually Rachel Shilcock. I've still never seen Rachel speak. I've managed to miss uh, speak a few times, I think, as well. Um, which is shame because everyone says she's fantastic and she's such a lovely person that, mm. of course, she'd be fantastic. Well, she just, for other people that don't know, she does another podcast that I can't remember the name of. <laughs> she does Beyond Ink, um, which I was one of the first guests along with, uh, Collie. And she's, yeah, it was a fantastic first podcast as well. She's really organized. <clears throat> yeah, well, moving swiftly on. Anyway, she did a really good talk. And what I liked, actually, was, I mean, I, I didn't, the subject matter wasn't up my street, but she gave by far what I think was the best performance of the day. I mean, by far. She was really slick. Um, and I know she was nervous about it, you know, the night before and, you know, before she got up there. But she gave such an amazing performance. And I don't know whether she's been, you know, working on presentational skills, but if she has, it shows. Um, really, nice, really I don't good. think she's done, she's done quite a few talks in the last six months or so, but I remember she hadn't done any talks before a year or so, year or so ago. No, so that's think, amazing. To, and I think her first one was actually at an evening of like a five minute at um at Milton Keynes Geek Night, the evening ones. Ah, that would make sense, yeah. But no, she was brilliant, actually, because she was, although, you know, obviously kind of initial nerves, um, she was confident, but she wasn't, you know, overconfident. She wasn't cocky. Yeah. Which I thought was good. And she was very well prepared, but she didn't seem over-rehearsed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, not too scripted sounding. Yeah, I mean, I've seen, I mean, you know, nothing against Americans, but I've seen a lot of Americans speak and, you know, some really good speakers, but sometimes it can feel very scripted and really, um, you know, when they've practiced it over and over again, probably in front of a mirror, it just feels really insincere. 
I think it's when people memorise uh, a script. They yeah. really learn it, it word by word. Yeah, I like an entire line. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And to she get that out and sound natural. Yeah, and she didn't do that. She didn't do that, which I thought was really, really good. And I, the other thing that impressed me was that she's, I think she struck just the right amount of balance um, in terms of talking to the audience, kind of ad-libbing, if you like, you know, in between yeah. the, the, the points that she was making. Um, and, you know, not just at this event, but I've seen in, in, in other events, you know, sometimes people can try to be almost kind of one with the audience in a way. It's like, you know, I'm one of you, it's okay. Yeah. As be- as if somehow they're trying to compensate for the fact that they're the ones that are on stage and, and the others aren't, if you know. Mm, yeah. Um, and I've always thought that, you know, when you're up there, when you're speaking, you know, you're not, you're not part of the audience, you know, you are separate from them and, you know, you want them to, uh, relate to you and relate to what you're saying, but you're not, you, but you're not their best friend. No. And I yeah, think, and if it would feel fake if you spoke in that way. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, um, swearing a lot, um, or commenting on slides or, um, oh, well, I was going to do this, but then I couldn't. So therefore, um, that kind of informality just takes, it just takes the edge off, off the performance in a way. And she got it absolutely spot on, I thought. Oh, I don't wonder. Do they record it? Yes. Um, so I don't know when those things are going to come out, but they did record it. Oh, I'll definitely have to watch it then. There are a few great people speaking that I'd love to see their talks. And she's afraid of bananas as well. I didn't know that. <laughs> what an odd thing to be afraid of. I know. Well, she asked because her talk was about fear. Um, and you know, she did a bit of audience participation and asked what people were afraid of. And, you know, some people said, you know, not being able to provide for my family and all that kind of stuff. Uh, one guy was afraid of clouds. Right. <laughs> so I don't suppose he ever goes outside. Which is <laughs> <laughs> weird. And yeah, Especially but, not in this country. No, exactly. Cause, anyway. Um, and yeah, Rachel's afraid of, of bananas. Which must make going to Sainsbury's like, really hard. Yeah. Well, don't they? They always put the bananas nearest to the back. Because bananas and milk are the two most wanted items in the supermarkets. They put them near the back so you have to walk past everything else. Hmm. Don't know. Don't know about supermarket psychology, but I do know <laughs> that being afraid of bananas is like that's strange. <laughs> Very strange. It's really strange. Ah, dear. Anyway, did you hear about my pirates this week? Oh yes, you had a, a couple of incidents, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I did. Not Somali pirates, obviously. <laughs> no. It's not quite Captain Welsh Phillips. pirates. <laughs> do you think they had Welsh pirates? Must have done. There, there's coastland. I, I don't see why not. Smugglers. Yeah, oh, the, yes. more smugglers. I would imagine. Smugglers coves. Because it's a bit. It would be a bit chilly on that side of Wales. The sea, isn't it? Bit choppy. Yeah. Well, cold as well. <laughs> not, not really pirating. Um, sea, is it? <laughs> well, look, if you're going to be a pirate, you shouldn't be afraid of a bit of cold weather. Really, I think they must. The smugglers must. It's part of the job description, isn't it? Can't be an indoor smuggler. <laughs> no. Doesn't like to get out much. But then the people with that you were experiencing this week were indoor pirates. Oh, that was a good segue. I like the way that you did that. <laughs> that was almost professional. Smooth. <laughs> it was. <laughs> no, somebody on Twitter tipped me off. Um, I forget who it was, but, you know, thanks, whoever you were. Um, there's an app 
on the uh, Apple, uh, the iOS App Store. Uh, 3D HD Themes 7 is its name. Catchy. Uh, yeah, I know. It's, it's a wallpaper app. And they, they've used some of our client workers' wallpaper. And yeah, it's one of those oh. apps where you can, you know, you get wallpaper for your, for your phone or your iPad. And did they get that off your website? Uh, well, it was work that we did for Evolve Beyond, which is on our portfolio. But where they nicked it from was our dribble pages. Ah, that would probably be quite lucrative if you were going around trying to find wallpapers looking through dribble. Ah, well, yes. I mean, if you're a dribble user, I would have a quick shifty through the app, to be honest, because there's two versions of this app. There's the 99 cent app, Mm. um, which basically means you can download everything, which, you know, that in itself kind of teed me off because, you know, the app means that you can save whatever they have their artwork as, you know, as wallpaper. So you're saving it to your camera roll, which means that you can bloody well do anything with it, really, if you want to. Yeah, yeah. Pass it off as your own. So, um, so there's that, there's the 99 cent version, which you get everything. Um, and there's the free version where you then have to basically, you know, you pay. I think you just unlock the, you know, it's an incentive to get you the, to buy the, the 99 cent one. Yeah. So yeah, it's worth getting the free one and having a flick through, um, and seeing whether any of your stuff has been nicked off dribble because, uh, that's what they did. So I don't mind. Also, I don't mind mentioning who they are if if you're out there because I've sent tweets to you. Bingo time one <laughs> at bingo time one. That's who you are. Um, and I sent emails um, which they haven't responded to, um, and they've had a week now. And I reported them to Apple as well because I thought, um, you know, it's just it's just not fair. No, and if they're doing it to you, they're inevitably doing it to other people's work as well. Hmm. So I don't know what to do as regards dribble. I mean, I might have to start putting copyright notices on. Well, on... this is an interesting issue that I had this week. I had somebody email me asking, saying they, they love my work. And could they use um, a logo that I'd designed for a client, which is a little duck, um, on their blog post, um, which was about the $10,000 award of excellence Um Saying the article would go with the, that would go with the duck is about the recent state government budget and our conclusion that it is sensible but dull and somehow I think your duck adds a perfect note of mild humour. <laughs> <laughs> May we use that image? If yes, then how would you like me to credit you? And so of course I emailed back saying thank you for actually bothering to ask me, um, but no because it's a client logo and they own the copyright for that now and. Uh, but this is the point where she, she replied, and uh, she said, oh, I thought it might be the answer, but I have to try. You may want to think about finding a way to lock your online images or watermark them. I was able to just save this one from your website, in brackets. I promise not to use it, though. <laughs> and <laughs> but I just had this horrible thought of having to watermark every single image in my portfolio and how terrible that would look. I don't know. Um... Because it's not just using, putting things on Dribble. It's on your own website as well. I know. You'd, you'd think that the copyright at the bottom of the page would say, say enough, really. Well, I, I'd never really had to th- think about it before, but I think what I might do is I might just put a little byline at the bottom of the, um, the retina versions. You know, cause the little kind of, what are they? 300 by 400s. Yeah. 
you know, not a lot of point in doing, but you can't do much with those anyway. But when you're putting up an entire page and particularly things like that evolve beyond, which was basically, you know, a huge big background image. Uh, so when you, so when you put up a full attachment, I think they call them on dribble, don't they? That's it. That's the one. And this wasn't an entire page with text or anything else. It was literally, you know, it was designed to look really nice, you know, with the, the lovely illustrations that suited for that client. So, uh, yeah, I might have to think about putting a little notice on some of those. So I'll probably get around to that this week. We had just, it's weird that your story reflects something. I mean, it was a, I don't know, about a year, slightly less than a year ago, but we had a, a cheeky email, very, very similar from a lady that was, um, she was doing some kind of uh, holiday thing. And it was at the time when we had the scooters, you know, the little uh, yeah. guys. And she'd actually taken, um, the young mod, the mobile mod, um, and retouched it in, God, what looked like paint. <laughs> she kind of painted in, um, she'd painted it, she'd taken it out of the background and put it onto a beach, um, and put okay. kind of terrible sandcastles and flags and things on there and sent me an email saying, you know, I love, love, love that image and I, I'd really like to use it on my website. So, you know, can I? I'm like, no. <laughs> I've, I think I've still got it saved in my iPhoto library, so <laughs> I might put a link to that in the website. <laughs> oh dear. And then there was, we had the other one, we had the Valentine's Day card pirate as well. Oh yes, I saw that being sold on eBay, wasn't that? Mm, well, Josh sent me an email going WTF. <laughs> <laughs> And it turns out, yeah, the, the, the medium mod, you know, the one that I like to think I used to look like, the middle one, um, the youthful one, somebody had taken that image and was selling it as a Valentine Day card on, on eBay. How very romantic. Well, yeah, it was a bit odd. So I bought it. Um, it was, I don't know, it was going to cost me something like £2.50 with postage. Um, and interestingly, when I bought it, the listing then disappeared. So there was only one of them. It wasn't like this person had printed a thousand. Oh, okay. It was like almost like a handmade card. So Josh contacted, uh, the seller through eBay and, um, I, then I just bought the, you know, I bought the card and then about uh, the same afternoon, really. I got an email from PayPal via PayPal from the seller to say, I've been told that there's a copyright problem with that card and I've had to refund you. So I got my money back basically, which I was, to be honest, I was a bit disappointed with because I actually wanted the card. <laughs> you can see what it looks like. Now one, also it's coming up to Valentine's Day, isn't it? I could have used, I could, could have given it to Sue. <laughs> that would have been perfect. <laughs> exactly. I need a card. What am I going to do now? I'm stuck for an idea. Um, so <laughs> anyway, so when I got the email from PayPal, it gave me the lady seller's full name and an alternative email address, ah. which you can't get just from eBay. No. But it was there on the email from PayPal. So I emailed this lady and said, listen, you know, no hard feelings, but just out of interest – what made you think you could just do that? You know, it's, you know, where did you get the image first of all? And, and what made you think that you could just, you know, use it? You know, obviously, you know, somebody's paid for that at some point. Yeah. 
And her reply was, which left me speechless, really, was, I got it from Google Images, and I thought because it was open to the world, I could just copy it. That's that's difficult, because if you've never come across any issues of copyright, if you don't do that kind of work, then I guess, why would you think otherwise? Well, it does say, because I went on, I did a search for, you know, mod on scooter or something, and it came up. And underneath, when you, when you click on the image, underneath in that black overlay that Google Images has now, it says images may be subject to copyright. But I just don't think that that regular people know what that means. Yeah, or that, and they might just think, yeah, it might be, or probably even not even read the text because it's very why small. Would they? Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, we need to do a sponsor. Let's do a sponsor. Our sponsor today, first one, Hammer for Mac. So I know I've talked a lot about Hammer um, on this podcast, but you know what? It's because I use it all the time and I really, really like it. Hammer for Macs for people who write HTML. And what does it do? Well, it speeds up your workflow. Hammer compiles SAS and CoffeeScript as well, whatever that is. And I know that there are plenty of ways that you can work with SAS and other tools that can do just that, but Hammer's only really just getting started. The way it works is that Hammer takes all your production files and it compiles them into a build folder that's inside your project. And again, I know that you can probably do this with some kind of, you know, terminal command or grunt runner or Lord knows what the hell that is. But, you know, <laughs> Hammer just makes it really, really quick and simple and easy for people like me that just want to get work done. What you do is you keep your development files clean by using things like HTML includes, and they're a bit like PHP includes, but in HTML. And Hammer's got clever paths built in too, so you never have to write the full path to an image or a script or a style sheet. You just write the file name, and then Hammer finds those files automatically, and when it compiles, it writes the full path into HTML. It's brilliant. I've been using Hammer since the beta, and, well, I use it every day, and I can't imagine not using it every day. I think you're going to really like it. There's a free trial available. But, you know, honestly, if you write HTML, just do yourself a favor. Go buy yourself a full copy. You're not going to regret it. It's £16.99. That's $23.99 in the Mac App Store. And you can find out more at hammerformac slash unfinished. No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) You can find out more at hammerformac.com slash unfinished. Forgot the dot com. And that's Hammer. Ah, oh, man, I was going to, it was all going so well as well. <laughs> so you had some things that you wanted to talk about this week. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about scheduling. It's, I think, I see it as the, the one thing that's so hard to get right um, if you're working for yourself. And I know that you do your um, slot booking um, system, which I guess must make it much easier because you're booking by weeks. And so you know if you are booked or aren't booked, it's not a case of sort of, fitting multiple projects around each other. But I was wondering, how far in advance do you actually book those weeks? Um, so, we've got this project at the moment. I mean, I, I, there are generally milestones, you know, in the calendar, mm. like trips, for example. So at the moment, anyway, in, in my calendar, we've got this trip to Atlanta coming up because I'm, I'm speaking at an event apart and then we're going to have a little holiday. So that's kind of like a little milestone in the calendar. So I knew that I needed to, you know, have some work before then, but obviously, you know, I needed to, you know, break it down. So I'm not going to book too much in before then, because I know that I've got to get prepared. 
Yeah. So that's where, that's kind of where we are at the moment. Um, so what I tend to do is I tend to, on this project that we're working on kind of now and, and a little bit after the trip, it's a four week engagement with a week in between, apart from the bit where I'm not here. Mm. Um, there's a week in between each of the, the working weeks and that's useful because either I can use that to kind of catch up on lots of other bits and pieces that happen. Cause you know, occasionally you'll have people coming back and they might want something doing. And if you're booked up until, you know, next November, it's quite hard to, you know, say, I'm yeah. sorry, I can't change your phone number until next November because <laughs> yeah. you know, that's not going to work. So I'll tend to have weeks like that where, you know, I might just, it won't be assigned to a, a one client. It'll just be kind of like a muddly week. Okay. And that kind of works okay. And, you know, some, often they happen by accident rather than rather than by design, to be honest. Yeah. And would you, would you book in a client, say if someone rang up and said, we need some work in about six months' time, would you, would you schedule something in for that far away? Oh, yes. Oh, no, definitely. I mean, at the moment, we're booked up until uh, about the end of March, I think. Which is, you know, I know some people that get booked up way further in advance than that but we tend to always do things on a little bit more of a sort of shorter term measure yeah i find i find it tricky as well when i'm doing things like that i tend to beyond two three months away i i say oh i'm not sure yet because i don't know if a project's going to need significantly longer amount of time i would wonder you know if somebody books me for a you know a month in i don't know four weeks in october between now and then there's an awful lot of time when things might change. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm usually more confident that a project's going to come up, um, you know, if it's in April than if it's in October. Yeah. Um, I guess, I mean, if somebody was going to book you that far ahead, you'd need to have a booking fee, wouldn't you? You'd need to have something to reserve that time, wouldn't you? Yeah. I I would imagine so. What do you normally do? Well, I, Mate, I don't book people in, so maybe I book people three months in advance is probably the furthest away. And yeah, in the meantime, in the time before those three months, I will make sure that I get the contract signed and the retainer in at least a month in or so. Just to, yeah, just to make sure. And just so we're ready to kick off as well. Yeah. I'd I'd be happier knowing that, you know, there's money in the bank so that they don't turn around, you know, a week or two before, you know, or even actually even a month before and say, ah, do you know what? You know, that's not going to happen now. Or, you know, we're going to shift the dates again. Yeah. But what if you've, what if you've got that from them, but then they're not ready to start that week? What, what do you do then if you've got other slots booked up the following week? Well, I suppose, I mean, I'm only hypothesizing because that's never happened. Yeah. Um, but hypothetically, I would just move somebody else forward if possible. Um, yeah, actually we had, um, we had that job that we didn't do in January. I think I don't know whether I told you about it, but you know, we decided that we, we weren't prepared to work with somebody. And basically that left three weeks in the diary. Right. Um, for January, early February. Um, well, some of that was filled by that project I just talked to you about. Um, but other, we just move people forward. You know, this, this job for the musical foundation wasn't supposed to happen yet. You know, it's supposed to happen later on in the year. We, um, a little bit, you know, into March or something. We just pulled it forward. Yeah, I guess no one's going to say, no, we don't want you to work for us yet. 
No, like exactly. sooner isn't better. Yeah. No, I mean you know if you if it's a kind of a complex project with lots of moving parts and maybe lots of people that are involved, well you know you can't just move it forward because other people's schedules have to you know have to come into it. Yeah. But with the ones that you know we moved into those three weeks, nothing was that critical. So that's what I would do in that situation. Hmm. I mean, yeah. the, how far you get booked ahead tends to vary according to the time of year, really, because I think things definitely slowed down before Christmas. And they're only just, inquiries are only just, did you listen to the show I did with Josh a couple of weeks ago? Yes, yes, I did, yeah. Um, and I was wondering, actually, whether the apes were putting people <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. Has it started speeding up again now? Yeah, though? it has. I mean, we haven't had anything, you know, and I've not had anything... Um, you know, it's not like the floodgates have opened, no. but there's been a nice steady trickle of actually well qualified and 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 good work. Um, so that's nice. I'm I'm less paranoid that people don't like the apes. Yeah, I I think the point you were making then about it being a good filter, I, I like that. I think it's a, a it's a good first point to show people what you're like. Yeah. Yeah, I'd... obsessed with apes. <laughs> Not obsessed, just a, just a fan. Um, I mean, it was interesting. A couple of years ago, when I was doing that project with Accenture, um, they were buying me for basically two weeks every month, Mm-mm. and then I was also doing STV up in Glasgow one week a month. So that basically left one week a month available, and I was pretty much booked for like the whole of that year, actually. Yeah, in in advance. Um, so I literally was, I wasn't joking. I was turning around to people and going, sorry, I really, you know, in February, I'm sorry, I'm, I'll be free in November. Yeah. Because you just cut down massively on the amount of, you know, weeks that I had around. Do you find that that then makes people want you more? Uh, no, I think it just makes them grumpy, really. I, I found that I have had people that have regularly come back to me every six months or so. And every time I've had to say, I'm sorry, but I've, not got anything for x amount of time because i've booked something in the meantime and some people just keep coming back they they're the kind of people that are maybe running agencies or they are uh, running longer term projects it's not just one project they need to get done and haven't managed to yet um yeah i it's yeah being unattainable (laughs) i think makes people want you more well, going slightly off track for a minute, have you ever had it where, you know, you've done a proposal for somebody and you don't hear from them? So, you know, they're talking about, I mean, imagine, you know, you're, somebody's talking to me about a, a, a job and they're talking about maybe an April time scale. Yeah. Which, you know, if anybody's out there and wants a job doing an April, they can get in touch. Um, and you know, every, everything's about April this and April that. And then they disappear again. You know, they, they go quiet and then, I don't know, the week before April, last week of March, they come back and go, oh, right, are you still ready to, to do that? <laughs> yeah, I've had exactly that recently. And they uh, get really yeah. grumpy when you say, I'm sorry, I've booked those weeks now, as if, what was I supposed to do? Sit yeah, there sit and... around and wait for you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, yeah, I've had exactly that. Um, someone going, oh, I'm not sure if we can quite afford um, the amount that you've estimated there. I'll go back and talk to um, my partners about it. And then they'll come back to you two months later. Right, yeah, we're good to go. <laughs> and you're like, no, sorry. Um, yeah, I, I can't just 
turn around and do that straight away. Yeah, strange. Um, I think, yeah, th- things are things are a bit more fluid. I'm, do you know what? I'm not really sure what I would do if we got more work in for a longer term. You know, if if I suppose, you know, some people know what they're doing, you know, for the most of the year. Um, if we were booked for six months or more in advance and you're still getting inquiries through the door, that that would be difficult because, I mean, what do you do then? Do you have to think about expanding, you know, and yeah. subcontracting? Or I don't want to get into that kind of stuff. I'm not keen on keen on doing that. No. No, but, yeah, I, I did have a potential client the other day ask me and me saying, oh, I'm sorry, I'm too busy. And they go, oh, well, you need to hire someone then. <laughs> I, it's not as simple as that. And that's not really something I want to do. No, I mean, I, you know, again, just changing the subject slightly, but I actually nipped into Chester and got a haircut and a beard trim the other day because I wanted to look, you know, I wanted to look my best for Milton Keynes. <laughs> I didn't want to look like I, you know, just got out of a smuggler's cove. Because <laughs> trust, trust me, it was looking a bit piratey, that beard. Um, anyway, Paul, who, you know, I've been, he's cut my hair for the last 15 years. Um, he now works for himself. He's got a fabulous little barber shop in Chester and literally, from the moment he opens to the moment he closes, he's got customers. I mean, five days, six days a week. And w- when I was in there, I was there at like 9.30. I was at 9.30 in the morning. And by the time I'd sat down, I was first in the queue. By the time I'd sat down, there were eight people behind me. Wow. And he's talking about he's actually going to hire a, another barber because he's got space for, for them in there. Um, but, you know, most of, the, most of the people want him. I wouldn't want the other guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's got the good reputation. Yeah, and I'm sure that, you know, he would be mentoring this new barber and, you know, there will be some people, I guess, that just, you know, walk in off the street and, you know, they don't know Paul, so they're going to, you know, not mind having the other guy. But, you know, people want you. They don't want, you know, they don't want somebody else. Yeah. They want, they want Laura. Yeah, that's and because I'm a control freak, um, I'd be very bad at letting go of that and and saying, well, um, I like things done in a particular way, and if it's my business, I want it done this way. And so I think that would be difficult for me, but it's still something I I should really think about because as a one person business, there's only so far you can expand if you're working on an hourly or daily rate. Yes, that's true. And we had, oh, ages ago, this business advisor guy used to come round. Um, and one of the things that he did say that made some sense anyway was you're limiting your income by the amount of hours that you can stay awake. Yeah. Um, and I suppose, you know, that's, that's true, really. And, yeah. you know, if you just want to, I mean, just imagine that like me with the, the whole kind of STV Accenture thing, I was quite happy to turn away work for most of the year because actually I quite like just, you know, doing a couple of things. Whereas if I was a proper businessman, (laughs) (laughs) I'd have gone, well, with all these other inquiries, I need to have a designer to take care of those. And, you know, somebody we can be, you know, we can be doing two jobs rather than one at the same time. But I never really thought that. No, I think, I think it would be hard work. I worry the most that if I did that kind of thing, I'd end up doing more of the admin work that I don't like and answering emails and trying to bring more clients in and getting them sorted out 
and less time doing the design work. I think it just boils down to being happy with a certain level of business. Yeah. And well, I don't want to expand beyond that. I think I worked out that if I was super efficient with the amount of hours I spent on admin and things like that, un- unbillable business hours, um, I could actually make a huge amount of money. <laughs> but it's just a case of doing that, making sure I can I work a good amount of hours every day and keeping down on the amount of time I spend doing things for free or for the business. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's always difficult. You're always trying to be more efficient. Yeah. I mean, yeah, unbillable hours are the you know the thing to avoid i suppose yeah but what are you saying here because you sort of sent me a list of things you want to talk about here what happens if the client wants more work done and you've got stuff booked in for for months um that's when that's why we have kind of contingency weeks yeah i think it's important because otherwise you know if you're booking things in week after week after week you know back to back um, I think, do you know what? I think you need a bit of downtime as well, to be honest. Um, we had that for the last sort of couple of years where we literally, I mean, that year, was it 2012? I literally didn't have a day off. I mean, we had our weekends back because everything was nicely structured, but didn't have a day off. Yeah, um, you need that every now and again. I think you need to, you need it to keep sane. Well, yeah, and to, you know, learn things and read and have a bit of fun with stuff, I suppose, as well. Yeah, I have to, every time I do a talk, um, or even actually go go to attend a conference, I, I tend to have to need a day out afterwards to recover, and especially if it's involved lots of travelling, to sort of get myself back into the swing of things and be exhausted for a bit. Well, I'm between you and me, because I'm, I'm sure nobody else... <laughs> Nobody else is listening. I'm getting rather stressed out about this uh, event apart talk that I'm doing in Boston. Yeah. Um, for a whole bunch of reasons that I won't go into. But, you know, I am getting pretty stressed out about it. So what I've decided to do, we've just moved the calendar around a little bit. Um, and not this week coming, not the week that you're listening to this if you're listening to the podcast on a Monday because um, I'm busy doing something else. But the week after, I'm just keeping that clear. And I've not just kept it clear for me. I've kept it clear for everybody. Um, because I'm going to spend that entire week focusing on that talk. No, oh, that's that's really good to be able to do that. Um, because I don't want to I don't want to fly to Atlanta and be stressed and looking at my slides, which I'm not actually doing any slides, but you know, looking at my notes on the plane and spending you know the days before because I'm on last on the second day. Yeah. Ooh. So I've got I know I've got two full days to be freaking out <laughs> to watch everyone else do fantastic talks i know so what i don't want to do is i don't want to feel ill prepared or not confident i want to actually get on the airplane knowing that i know everything and that everything's done and i do you know what i don't even need to look at the thing again until i stand up there and give it yeah um, and that's why having a, a a week you know a, a bit of flexibility and just you know being able just to concentrate on something without, you know, a client maybe breathing down your neck. Yeah. Oh, I think often as well, if you haven't spoken, it's hard to realize how long it takes to write a really good talk and to write something that's thorough. Um, even something that sounds very off the cuff tends to take a lot of preparation. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to say too much about it because I'm, you know, 
I don't want to give the game away. <laughs> Not that anybody cares. Will you do it anywhere? Will you just do it at Event Apart and Event Apart? Uh, no, I'm going to be doing the same talk at Smashing Conf in Oxford. Ooh. Which is also in March. I think it's the week after, or maybe the week before, I can't remember, uh, the Milton Keynes one. So I don't know when it's going to fit into their timetable, but um, I'm doing it there as well. And I think I'll probably be the, the only two times that I give it, to be honest, this year. I don't, I don't know. I've got nothing else lined up. Yeah. Should we do another sponsor? Yeah, go for it. Uh, it's Ghost Lab. Yay. <laughs> so if you're a designer or a developer, uh, particularly one who makes responsive websites, and you know, I think that's everybody, isn't it, these days? It must be. I think you're going to be really interested in our next sponsor because it's Ghost Lab and that's synchronized cross-browser and mobile testing taken to the next level. So this is the problem. You're designing and you're developing a site and you need to test it across multiple browsers and, you know, maybe now across multiple different devices, smartphones, tablets. Um, now what you could do is you could set up a local development server or, you know, maybe you could FTP files to an existing server, but no one wants to do that then what you've got to do is you've got to keep all the devices in sync as well while you test you, know, you want to move around a site use navigation fill in some forms you, you need like three pairs of hands but that's where ghost lab comes in because ghost lab synchronizes everything across different browsers and devices so as you type something in one browser as you do something in one browser on one device then it happens on all of them instantly so if you click a link on a desktop browser, it gets pressed on the smartphone. And if you type in a form input on a tablet, then it gets filled in across all the browsers and devices that are connected to Ghost Lab. So here's how it works. What you do is you install the Ghost Lab app on your Mac um, and on Windows, and then drag any HTML site into the Ghost Lab window. And that's it. That's all you have to do. Ghost Lab just takes care of everything else. And from there... You can open your site in any of your installed browsers and you can point any device that's on the same network to the GhostLab IP address. It's brilliant. And the best part is that with GhostLab, there's not an app that you have to install on all the devices. It just uses the browser. And then GhostLab keeps a watch on the project and it pushes any changes that you make to any connected browser. And that makes designing with code really, really simple. So GhostLab costs £33 per user, and you can install it on two computers, like a desktop and a laptop. That's what I've done. And there are volume discounts available too. So go to venamico.com slash GhostLab and get GhostLab. It's brilliant. I love GhostLab. Mm. And now there's GhostLab for Windows, so all of those Windows users can stop whining that all the good apps are available <laughs> just for Mac. So, yeah, it's good. Let's talk about day rates for a minute. Okay. <laughs> well, I've I've had a client actually this week uh, ask me if I should double my rate, <laughs> which was odd and possibly the best feedback you could get when you send something over to a client and they go, have you thought about doubling your rates? Um, so that was strange, but I worry that I'll actually... I won't be able to work with the clients that I like if I make if I put my rates up too high. All right, so wind back a bit. Mm. Did you end up charging that client double? Well, no, because I've already got the contract like contract with him sorted out and things like that. But we are going to work together on future projects, so uh, who knows whether we might have that conversation? Although that's a really difficult conversation to have, anyway. Well, no, he he, he suggested it. <laughs> yeah. 
So what are you going to do? I don't know. Um, I, I might suggest I put it up a little bit. Double it is, is a bit scary sounding. I mean, I think now my hourly rate is double what it was, more than double what it was when I started out. Um, and so it already feels like quite, I, I don't mind saying how much my, my rate is. I, I charge 60 pounds an hour at the moment. So what's that? 400 a day? Yeah. Okay. And so it would, yeah, that's doubling that is quite a considerable difference. Doubling it would take it to what our daily rate is. Standard, yeah. standard per person daily rate. Yeah. We, okay, we, we yeah. do 800 a day. And. I, I work mostly, I'd say, with small businesses, individuals and startups. And they're the clients that I love working with because they tend to be small and we can, there's no office politics and things like that going on. I'm usually speaking directly to the stakeholder throughout the project. Um, the sort of the one or few stakeholders that exist. I probably won't be collaborating with more than two or three people at a time. All right, so let's just wind it back again. <laughs> yeah. um, actually, just just to change the subject slightly, I was talking to, and I'm not going to say who it is, but she's probably listening, um, but I was talking to a, a really nice uh, developer, designer um, lady who was at the conference this week, and she is just insanely busy. I mean, she's very good um, and in real demand, and over the last six months, she's literally doubled her day rate. And she said, I was getting so many inquiries that I just decided to keep doubling it, um, almost to put people off. Um, and they still kept coming back to me and going, that's okay. When can you start? <laughs> Which I think that, you know, economy is a bit, but if you're good and you're in demand, um, then there's, you know, then there's plenty of work around. Yeah. And that's what she was doing. So that's the first thing. And then secondly, you don't have to have the same rate for everybody. No, that's true. If you want to have a headline rate, which we do, then, then, you know, ha have a main rate. But we had a couple of local, um, artists come to see us, uh, a week or two ago, two really lovely ladies. And, we, we just want to do something nice for them. I mean, you know, do what, do you know what? I don't want them to go off. They've got, you know, they've got some money, but it's not what we would normally expect. Yeah. But they were so nice and they do such lovely work that the last thing I want them to do is to go off and have, and to waste the money that they do have by spending it on some, you know, some local smuggler. Yeah, someone who's not going to make their work look as good as it should. Exactly, you know, some some guy in a in a smuggler's cove. You know, I, I don't want <laughs> I don't want that to happen to them. I, I want them to be successful in doing what they do. So, um, the first thing that we're going to do for them is some branding work. Because, yeah. you know, they need to brand up their thing. And they've got very strong ideas about what they want, but they're open to suggestions as well. And we've got a week where... I'm going to be in Atlanta and designer Sue's going to be here. And it just seems like the perfect um, opportunity for her to work with them, which is what, you know, what she does really well. And we don't have to charge that at full rate because, you know, it's an opportunity to just, you know, put a nice job into the right place at the right time. 
Yeah. And we're doing that at a, at a lower rate because we, you know, because we can and because we want to. Yeah. That's a nice thing to do. Um, you know, what would the alternative be? You know, just go in with the headline rate, know that you're not going to get the work and, you know, be disappointed when you see something which is, you know, average at the end of it. Yeah. It's difficult though, because you don't want a client to necessarily know that they're being charged a higher rate than other clients are being charged. No, that's true. But, and this is another thing I think to remember is sometimes when it's your own money, you might be aware of those things, but you know, an awful lot of our clients, it's not their own money. It's their company's money. No, it's true. And remember that, you know, the difference between 700 and 800 or actually the difference between let's take your middle one, right? And let's just, you know, don't double it, but go to 600. Mm. Well, if you're working with a successful organization, 600 to 800 is quite a big jump for you. Yeah. Yeah. Especially over the course of a week. That's like a grand, Mm. a grand difference. That grand is absolutely inconsequential to a large company. You know, if you're working for a large organization, that grand is all. They would strip, you know, they might spend that on stamps. <laughs> yeah. So don't feel bad about charging, you know, what you think you deserve to, you know, an organization like that. And, you know, I never discuss one client's business with another, you know, no. I might talk about it on the podcast <laughs> with thousands <laughs> of people, but you know, I never talk about one or the other. Um, and you know, it's okay. It's, it's my prerogative to, you know, give away our time for a little bit less if we want to. Like this, you know, the charitable foundation that I'm working for. Yeah. This week. Um, you know, we worked out that there were so many days a year that we could afford to give away kind of pro bono if there was the right project for it. And this musical foundation's just taken them all. Um, and so I don't feel bad about charging them a hell of a lot less than what would be our normal commercial rate because I'm really, really behind what they do. Yeah. Yeah, don't feel bad about it. I also have a a problem with... I have a lot of clients that come back to me for work um, again and again, and it's been particularly noticeable lately. I've had one of my first ever freelance clients um, come back to me to... I originally did a website for him, and now I'm adding a shop to that website. And it was very difficult because when I first worked with him, I think I was charging about £25 an hour. <laughs> and so I had to go, right, um, well, I can't charge £25 an hour now because I would be struggling to pay my rent if I was charging that for a significant amount of time. And so I had to work out the right way of how, how do I be nice, um, but still, um, not put myself out of pocket. What did you do? Well, I ended up settling on a sort of a halfway in between rate, um, and saying, Oh, and this, I wanted to update his current site because, well, since, since I did the first design, we now have CSS3 and things like that. And the previous site was full of, um, Images for fonts, so for uh, headings and uh, navigation was all images. Uh, there were um, all of the the there were boxes which contained text, and they were all images because they had lots of shadows on them and <laughs> all these things that I knew I could turn uh, into 
Like I could make, do it with CSS and make it really quick, whereas it, the site was starting to feel a bit slow. So I was like, well, I'll do that bit for free because I want to do it for for myself as well to see how how much everything's changed. Um, but then, yeah, I charge a little bit more for the uh, the update, but not the full amount. It's really tricky because if you look at the clients that we work with now, um, and we've, we've got some of the same ones that we worked with years ago, but the majority of them are, you know, are different. Um, and we, you know, like everybody, you know, you work with people for a period of time and, you know, some stay and some go. Um, but we actually had a client, I think it was, it was right back at the beginning of last year, actually, um, that had drifted away. They'd gone and done something else. And then they came back and said, actually, you know, we really want to work with you again. Um, and these were, these were clients that were from quite an early, early on. Mm. Um, I mean, it wasn't quite the 500 quid. Um, it wasn't worth quite the 500 quid at website touch. Um, but it wasn't a million miles away from that. Yeah. Um, and there's just absolutely no way that we could build them an entire product catalog <laughs> for yeah. anywhere near. So you've got to think to yourself, well, what am I going to do in that situation? So I remember, um, how long they'd kept their old site and it was years. It was, I think they had the site that we made for them for like five or six years mm. before they'd, you know, they'd gone off and done some scabby thing. Um, so actually I was able to say, well, to be honest, you know, things have changed a little bit, you know, not just with us, but with, you know, technologies and, you know, the time it takes and all that stuff. Um, so, you know, you won't be paying the same as you paid seven years ago, seven or eight years ago, but I've worked it out. And, you know, what, with what we do want to charge you, you know, what we do think is a fair price actually boils down to, you know, if you keep your site for another five years, which if we build it in the right way, it'll be a good foundation. You know, we'll use Perch and, you know, we'll do all the code nicely. So, you know, there'll be a foundation for you to change things and, you know, build on. That's only going to work out at like 800 quid a year for the next however many years. You know, That's if you, a nice way of doing it. Do you it. think your business is actually worth, your website's worth £800 a year to your business? And they go, well, absolutely it is. And then we go, let's do that. Let's think about it like that then. That That's your good salesman coming out there, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. So that's that's the first thing, is that find ways to to have that conversation. Yeah. Um, and there's no shame in saying, listen, we've moved on. You know, if, if, if you turn around to that guy and gone, listen, I just, I can't work with you for that rate anymore. You know, my business has changed and you know, what I do has changed a lot. You know, if you think about responsive design and all the things that we have to take care of now that we didn't have to take care of five years ago. Yeah. And, and you say to the guy, look, I'm just, I'm really sorry, but you know, we actually charge four times now, you know, four times what we charged you before. Um, and you know, they can come take it or leave it, really. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah and it's sad to, to, it is sad to move on. Um, but you know, clients come and go. Yeah. I think I will get better at, at speaking about it in the same way that I became better about talking about what my rate was in the first place, which I used to find a really awkward conversation, even saying that I charge money. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and now it's nowhere near the case now. And now I'm very comfortable talking about that kind of thing with people. Well, I've got an email here. Literally, this came in today. 
Um, and it's coming through our contact form. I can tell by the fields in the email. So, you know, blah, 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 phone number, companies, nothing. Budget. I asked the budget field, right? Mm. Budget, very low, she's written in here. <laughs> and then the message is, hello, I found your company while doing a quick website search. Well, I'd prefer it to be a long search, but anyway, I'm glad she just did a quick one and decided that we were okay. I love your work, but I can't afford you with two exclamation marks. Um, I'm looking for a local company to design a site for me. Do you know of any other local-ish companies who might be able to help and are somewhat cheaper? I'd be grateful for any advice. Is that brilliant? That, that's an interesting way of doing it. Isn't that brilliant? I I think, wow, I mean, there's a phone number here and I'm not going to call her today, but I'll call her on Monday morning. Because actually, what does she want? And maybe, maybe it's only a week's work and she can afford us. Yeah. Maybe... If we figure out what's really, really important and we just work on those things, that, you know, her budget might be okay. I don't know. Hmm. Or maybe, maybe there's a time where like the whole kind of, you know, while I'm in Atlanta thing, that we wouldn't be doing anything else. So it's a good time to, you know, doing something's better than doing nothing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and particularly if it's something that's interesting. Exactly. I mean, you know, if she sells machine guns, then I'm not going to be particularly <laughs> keen on it. Oh, oh wait, make, I make cozies for hand grenades. <laughs> but yeah, no, maybe this, maybe there's something like, like the artist ladies, you know, that you just think, I mean, it's not a sob story though. You know, if somebody comes to you with a sob story and goes, well, I really don't have any money, you know, but blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, that's not going to wash, is it? No, no, it's not the same thing. But if they come to you and go, oh, I'm doing something really interesting. And I, if they can inspire me to get behind it, then they've got much more of a chance of, you know, maybe us doing something for less. Like the, like the, the foundation again, I can I keep going on about it, but I've loved working on that thing this week. It's been brilliant. I've earned absolutely nothing, but it, I've really, really enjoyed doing it. It sometimes it's a very different feeling as well when you're not actually doing the work for a particular amount of money. You can get a different type of enjoyment out of it. Well, all I was conscious of was that I had to have everything but the perch build done by Friday. Mm. Um, and I was a little behind because obviously, you know, Friday I was at the conference. So, you know, I've got a little bit more to do next week. Um but and I loved it, and it kind of apart from that time pressure, knowing that this it just couldn't go on forever. Yeah. Um, you know, I wouldn't want the thing to drag on. But knowing that if that was the only constraint, um, and I, I could just actually enjoy writing copy for them, which is what I've been doing for the last two days. Um, it it made it a really enjoyable experience because it, it it almost took the commercial aspects away. Yeah. And I could just enjoy writing, which is ah, so good. It's been fun, actually, because they sent over a whole load of um, of content for the site, which, you know, ideas for bits and pieces, which I mostly ignored. <laughs> no, I, d I didn't ignore what they wanted to say. I just ignored the, you know, what they'd written. Yeah. Um, and then, and then spent a couple of days actually rewriting it and editing it and bringing in, trying to bring in all of their points. Yeah. Um, but without using, you know, their, their sentences. Um, 
I had such a good time. I'm just going to do that for every project now. I'm just, I'm not, you know, people say, oh, I've been waiting for the, the content of the about page for like a week. Yeah. I'm not, I'm just going to write it from now on. Yeah. I was going to actually ask you if you did that frequently, because I find that I do that for a lot of projects is not just that they've not sent me content in particular, but I, they've sent me content and I think it's not quite right and I will rewrite it and I'll tell them why. And I think I kind of see that as part of your expertise as a web designer is knowing the kind of copy that is appropriate for the web. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's different from what you might put in a, a biz, business report or something. Because often I find that the copy is far too long and is usually the biggest problem. And they write about them. They write about themselves in the third person and yeah, yeah. do all of that horrible stuff. So no, I think what I'm going to do, and I'm going to actually, you know, talk, going back to the scheduling thing again, I'm actually going to break down uh, the schedule into a little bit more detail in the future and add a couple of extra days, maybe for two or three extra days for actual copy production. Um, and I think the way that I'll play it is that I'll do, as I mean, I've done it several times where I'll actually um have a have a verbal conversation an interview with the client mm. and say so tell me about what you do and tell me about why I should come to you and not the guy next door and you're going to get a very very different response if you if they say it to you than if you ask them for the copy and they go you know stuff and nonsense is north wales is leading e-commerce you know all that usual <laughs> stuff right yeah because all of a sudden they switch into kind of what PR mode or something. I don't know. Yeah, and you get them speaking enthusiastically about what they actually care about. Yeah, and then if we can record that or I can make notes for that um, and then go away and actually turn that into the right amount of copy with the right tone, I tell you what, it's going to take way less time to get that done than you know asking them to do it and um, you know waiting for it to arrive and then having to edit the stuff anyway. Yeah. Yeah, and you can get the, their tone of voice through talking to them. Mm. You'd be able to work out the way that they would say it. I mean, one thing that we don't do, I mean, we're just kind of skipping about, but the one thing I haven't done so far in planning, because we tend to just block off these weeks and then we'll do like a planning session at the beginning of each week. Um, what I haven't done is I haven't broken down projects beforehand into saying we're going to do you know, two days worth of copywriting, two days worth of front end dev, you know, two days worth of perch work. Mm. I never actually break that out in terms of time or cost in the quote. I might have to start adding those things on because I bet the danger is the more we take on in terms of, you know, copywriting stuff, the less time I'm actually spending designing. Yeah. Um, but so then, I need to think about you can that. do so much. I think it's so worthwhile because. Once you've got good copy, good design is so significantly easier. Because oh, God, you yeah. get so much off the copy. Yeah. I mean, I'm just a comparison between um, the copy that this particular client sent me, which is, you know, it's about a side of A4. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the four paragraphs I ended up actually on the page. Yeah, I think it was four paragraphs and a quote from, you know, the, 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 the guy. Um, and once I had those four paragraphs and that quote, then I would be able to really work on the typography. 
Yeah. Um, and I could really see what was supposed to be communicated through the page. Whereas if you just see this, you know, this, I don't know, a thousand words of, of impenetrable dump on the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, how the hell are you going to style that? Um, it's interesting to see how we, we are still taking on more tasks, uh, when everyone speaks about specializing more. But actually, when you're, when you really care about these particular projects you're working on and it needs work in another area, we end up doing it. Yeah. I don't necessarily buy the whole hyper specializing thing. I mean, I'm sure that there are people that, you know, all they, all they do is design buttons. I don't know what they do. <laughs> um, that would be a dull life. <laughs> do you think? Just buttons. <laughs> Yeah, but think about the amount of detail that you'd be able to put into them. I, th I think the larger the company you work within, the easier it would be to specialise. Um, if you're able to collaborate closely with other people that are working on the other parts. Um, well, but other, I think as a, as a, if you were self-employed and hyper-specialised, that would be much more difficult. Yeah. And I think that if I was hyper specialized in a certain thing, you know, maybe if all I did was, I don't know, mobile design, if that's still a thing, mm -mm. um, I was so specialized that your average client, you know, the people that we normally deal with, um, we wouldn't appeal to them, but probably we'd appeal to, I don't know, large companies that, you know, just want you for that thing and they take you on contract. Yeah. A little bit like I was doing for Accenture, I suppose. Um, well, this, then, then you end up as a long-term contractor mm. and you specialize in that one thing. And I can imagine, you know, there's a danger in that in, in lots of different ways. Um, and I wouldn't want to do that anyway. I, I, I like the variety. I like the fact that I can sit and write copy for two days, um, and tiddle with typography. Yeah. And then, you know, next week I'll be doing, I'm designing, um, uh, an app, you know, I'm working on actual data visualizations and data, in data graphics. That's why I like client work. Oh, me too. That's why, that's why I don't think I could do anything else because you get to work on something different all the time and yeah. not, and not just a different task, but a, a complete, a different goal and a different audience because even that difference makes, like, it makes it feel so much fresher. Well, Dan Rubin was talking about roles and specializing in his talk at Milton Keynes Geek Night all day. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Um, and he was, he actually started off by talking about webmasters. Everybody laughed. Um, and then he pulled up a slide that basically had like a, you know, a load of job descriptions on there from, you know, front end engineer to, you know, UI designer or UX designer. And, you know, one of the ones on there was web designer. And you know, I, you know what? I mean, maybe we should save this for another week, but. I think that we really need to reclaim that title. Yeah. Because actually I would much rather say that I am a really good all round web designer than, you know, something Ponzi or something else. Yeah. Because I, I call myself a designer for that reason. That's a, why do you, do you knock the web bit off? Because I people knock go, the, I knock the web bit off because I do a lot of, I do graphic design as well. I do logos and things. So ah, I, right. it's not really exclusively web. Okay. Because I think that some people would have probably knocked that off. Because um, what used to happen? Because right? people go, "What do you do for a living?" And they go, "I'm a web designer." And they go, "Oh yeah, my you know 
my cousin's a web designer. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then, so then what I started to do was I just, I knocked the web bit off because, you know, I, I, I never did graphic design. Yeah. You know, I, I never got trained as a graphic designer. So I can't say I'm a graphic designer. So I just used to say I'm a designer and they go, Oh, what do you design? Yeah. And then you go, Oh, mostly web stuff. And they go, Oh yeah, my cousin's a web designer. And then, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do. I say I have designer on my website. And when people ask me sort of in the industry, what do I do? I'll say designer. But if someone that, yeah, that I meet at the gym or something asks, I'd say web designer because people tend to vaguely understand what they mean, even if that means that they have a completely different idea of the type of work that you do. I mean, it's why I got the hump, really, with the uh, Jeff's Cross's post um, about specialising a couple of weeks ago. I think Zeldman wrote something as well, um, and I wrote something. Um, and I get this sort of – I get cross about this all the time when, you know, you'll you'll do a tweet about – I don't know, Hammer, for example. Mm. Um, and then you'll get, uh, you know, some helpful developer will come along and they go, well, why would you use Hammer when you can use Grunt or something mm. or whatever? Yeah. And you go, Jesus Christ, I don't, you know, I don't want to know about the command line. And, you know, you stop telling me about something in the command line and I'll stop telling you about CMYK conversions or Bezier curves, right? Yeah. So I don't care about that i don't need to be a designer that knows about the command line because i'm a designer that knows how to write copy yeah i think yeah you should be allowed to specialize in different things yeah and it's 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 like a, a sort of a i don't know it's like a fluid scale i suppose um of skills and you know just because you write html doesn't mean to say that you you know you need to know how to write you know node yeah yeah i just i i can i like to think of myself as being very good at markup and html and css uh, but i'm terrible at javascript but then i do illustration as well so it's I, I feel like that makes up for it yeah no it more than makes up for it i think ah, anyway before we digress too far we ought to wrap it up yeah another long one <laughs> no, it's no actually, it weren't too long we were bad. good on we've done all right it's only an hour and 15 minutes and we didn't do any singing I think that's a good thing. I don't think you'd catch me singing. I don't do singing. Not even in the shower? Not even in the shower, no. Not even at karaoke? I don't do karaoke. Not even in the car? <laughs> no. Not even... Oh, actually, maybe when I had my own car and it was me by myself <laughs> and no one else had a chance of hearing me, I might have done. But no, I, I, I don't do singing. <laughs> Sue doesn't do singing either, you know. I've 25 years and I've never heard her sing once. Yeah, Oral tries to make me sing sometimes. It, it doesn't happen. Yeah, well, he's just a born performer, isn't he? Yeah. I think that makes me less likely to sing as well. Ah, <laughs> oh, So people can follow you, Laura, yeah. on Twitter. Yeah, I am Laura Kalbag, absolutely everywhere. <laughs> And I'm at Malarkey, as usual. And to ask questions or suggest topics, you can message us at the show on Twitter at UnfinishedBZ, or you can email me, he has at UnfinishedBZ. Thanks again to our sponsors this week. They were Hammerfun Mac and Ghost Lab. God, I nearly forgot. God, I've got <laughs> brain like a bloody sieve. Hammerfun Mac and Ghost Lab. Thanks for supporting the show. And uh, you can support us by supporting them. <laughs>